Hello? Hey. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you, Clem Fandango. Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic yeah. books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. Shut up. <laughs> like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit Whatever it is. Titty discs. <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another creeptastic, oh my gosh, horrific episode of Fanholes Comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And I am joined by my fellow fanhole, Justin. But guess what? We've got a special request because we're doing a special, special episode of Comics, motherfucker, do you read them? We're doing Total Request Vanover live with John Vanover himself. And basically what that means is we reached out to our good buddy, John. Hey, what's up, John? I'm great. I'm actually feeling actually kind of special. Yeah, yeah. Well, because we, we, we kind of, you know, we hadn't talked to you in a long time podcast-wise. We kind of missed that. And, and we kind of loved interacting on Twitter and everything. And me and Justin were saying, we got to... We got to do something to get Vanover back on the show, and we had this. I think I think we talked about this like a, a while back, but it just never never came to fruition. But we were like, dude, he, you know, th there was a show we did in the past where I think you 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 suggested some comics that we read, but then I was like, we should do that again, but have John on the show. And so for this, you suggested. Why don't we all pick comics that creeped us out as little kids, right? And so John's brought one, Justin's brought one, I brought one, and that's basically what we're doing. Like we're doing the total request Vanover. The request is comics that creeped you out as a kid. So I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I guess we'll start off with and 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 John was saying how surprised he was at this, but. We're starting off with Justin because we're going in chronological order of the the oldest. So, uh, Justin, why don't you uh, let everybody know what you what you brought to the the comics that creeped you out as a kid session, and then uh, and then we could talk about it. I brought House of Mystery number two hundred seven. It has a cover date of October nineteen seventy two. It sold for an amazing twenty cents. The story is Last Ritual, Last Rites, written by and. Not to sound like Linkara, but I'm going from the DC Wiki because this stuff was not credited. So if this is if this is not accurate, don't shoot the messenger. But written by Bill Meredith and illustrated by Bill Payne, a man who is sick of his wife attempts to poison her, but comes to believe that her Hindu servant, who 
whom she brought back from India is using magic rituals to dilute the effect of the poison. When he strangles the serpent, his body immediately begins to rot, and his wife informs him that the rituals the rituals were <laughs> this is poorly written. I stole this. I, I cheated and stole this from Dizzy Wicked. The rituals were what was keeping him alive since he had died in an auto accident in India. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. So I, I've told this story on an ancient episode of Fanholes, but my uncle had a vast collection of comics. I was enthralled by them. I would spend hours just looking at the covers. He would also he would buy stuff if it was cheap, and I can remember like going to places with him. He he would buy like a long box if it was a good deal, even if it was just like a bunch of Archies or Harvey comics or something. And I think the biggest haul was like we went somewhere and he bought like four long boxes and it was like mostly DC 70s stuff and he bought it because it was a good deal and a lot of those were horror comics it was a lot of House of Secrets, House of Mystery and I was fascinated by these and because he bought them so cheap and this was probably like late 80s when he bought these like these 70s comics they were too new so he didn't really care about them and he just kind of like let me read them so i, I kind of knew i could read like the 70s stuff but anything like you know 60s backwards like i i could only look at and i you know i was afraid to like violate that rule ever so this is what uh, an issue i picked out it took me a while to find this because i was going through the covers of the uh on the dc wiki and i was like i'm i know as soon as I see the cover, I'll be like, Darth Vader and Empire, you know, I'll be like, that's it, the rebels are there. As soon as I saw the cover, I was like, that's it, because it has this guy, and he's like, his chest is exposed as a, uh, as a skeleton. I was like, that's it. I think the reason this story, like, stood out into my mind is you have these sequences that are like, they're like weirdly drawn, like, nightmare fever dreams because you've got like monsters and skulls and you've even got like words kind of like coming up and forming like a tableau and they're all like you know blues and purples and red and they're all elongated and just twisted and i don't know man like i don't think i'd ever seen that kind of thing in a comic before it, it really stuck out in my mind and then the the twist at the end of the story where it's like, you know, he's trying to kill his wife, but it turns out like, you know, he's the one who died in that accident. I was like, oh man, that's such a that's such a twist. I think I think I I think I was watching like and I probably shouldn't have. I think I was watching like Tales from the Crypt at the time and I was like, Oh, this feels like a Tales from the Crypt or something. Like it's so like that panel where you see him like He's starting to rot, and, like, the woman's hand is, like, got, like, I, I guess it's, like, sticky goo on her fingers, and, you know, he's got, like, the eyeball, and he's rotting away. I was like, oh, man, like, that that, that made me think of, like, Tales from the Crypt, and, like, this story always kind of stuck out in my mind for, for a long time, and I think it's because of these, the, the twist ending, like, the weird... I don't know, nightmare LSD stuff that's kind of coming from like the ritual and everything, like but it definitely it made an impression on my my young mind. Yeah, I thought this this twist, I mean, honestly, like 
that you know the, i i had never read this story before and i did not see the twist coming like and it was a good twist like it was an excellent twist because i think i think what this made me think of was like you know usually those tales from the crypt stories it's like they're they're usually you know successful in their endeavors like you know this this whole thing of like he's having an illicit affair with like the maid or something and and they're conspiring together to slowly poison you know this rich you know wife benefactor old lady or whatever like usually like what i'm used to is like you know they kill the old lady and she comes back as a zombie and you know get some back or you know what I mean? Like, or, or they kill the old lady and then their cat, like, you know, you know, strangles them in the middle of the night or, you know what I mean? Like some, some <laughs> come up as happens, but, yeah. but I was not, I mean, to me, I was not expecting it. And I, and, and it, you, you know, that, that page, like the money page, when it happens, I was like, Oh, you done fucked up, buddy. Like, like she was, she was, she was, she, she, she brought the Hindu servant back to keep you alive. Like, it's like, you done fucked up, you know? And it's like, it's very, very, very effective and uh, very fun. I mean, I don't know, historically, like, you know, it's like, I, you know, I, I know Cain and Abel, right? Like I, I knew Cain and Abel always hosted the, the house of mystery, but I, you know, I, I'm going to be honest, like house of mystery is something that was very, you know, I, I, I'm I'm pretty lacking in. I mean, I I know of it. Like like I think the thing that's key about this that that most people would remember, whether they remembered the story or not, is the the rights in cover, right? Because that's that that's obviously just you know famous in in whatever circle. Like whether you read the story or not, like stuff that Bernie Wrightson worked on and everything, all that kind of you know master of the macabre stuff and you know you've got her like prying away at the guy but then you can see his rib cage and it's all shadowy and spooky and creepy and and, and everything but i think like I, I was trying to remember like to, to share like well what is my history with house of mystery and i'm like i don't really have very much you know history like like you know what you know what's funny like this is this is my joke i think i've read the complete like when when Elvira hosted the House of Mystery, like I think I've read all of those, but like you know the the actual House of Mystery, like I guess I feel like even even when I was a kid, those those kind of titles where it wasn't, you know, like like sometimes I would educate myself later on and go, oh man, I've been missing out. Like I I, I don't think I ever bought a whole lot of adventure comics when I was a kid. Like I bought the issues where you know the Earth Two Batman died or whatever because that was a big deal to me. But like you know, there, there's so many great like runs in that, and I think you know later in life I'd be like, oh man, I was missing out, or I was missing out by not reading Showcase, or you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is these these DC titles where you know, there's not a, a headliner in the title. It's like, you know, you know, whether it's an anthology or or something that just has different strips under a single banner, you know, like World's Finest or, you know, things like that. And I think I was always lacking in that. And I think the only other thing I can point to was, you know, when they they redid I Vampire for the new 52. Uh -huh. I think that's when I went back and started looking up oh. some of these House of Mystery because yeah. I was like, I was kind of like, well, eh, this new 52 thing, I'm not that keen on, but I was like, I want to see like what, 
what they had to work with, like what was originally there. And I was like, oh, damn, this old stuff is really, you know what I mean? I was like, uh-huh. I was like, this is all, this, these these comics are really good and everything. But I, I think that's where, you know, like if, if you asked me about, you know, the first 200 or so issues of House of Mystery, I'm like, that's a pretty big blind spot for me. But these are all, you know, again, these are these are all very fun. I mean, I, I guess you could say maybe some of them are, a, I don't know, it's weird. It's like, it's like they were kind of super comics code approved and tame up until like, I want to say like issue 170. And then you can slowly see like the covers get more macabre and, and horrific looking, you know, as, as the comics code thing, like sort of, you know, was, was not, um, it was still approved, but it was not as, as strict as it used to be, like where it was like, oh, you can't have anything that says vampire in it or, you know, whatever the, the screwball rules were. Right. It seemed like they they lightened up on that stuff. And then and then that's when this title kind of got into gear. And I think your issue is just kind of straight in the, the middle of that. What about you, John? Do you have a history of uh, House of Mystery? I have never read that. I'm kind of like what Derek said. I If it was not like if it didn't have Batman on the cover or somebody I knew. I, I wasn't going to be likely to pick it up, huh. especially as a kid. I mean, this, I, I think you said on a, a different show, one of you guys did at least that this was kind of like, that would have been like an adult comic to me. And mm. I just wouldn't have picked it up. You know, I would have looked at it and said, Ooh, no, that's, that's not for me, you know, or that's not intended for me. And I probably would have passed on it. And, and by the time I got old enough and, and had availability of getting back issues, I was looking for back issues of Batman or I was looking for back issues of star Wars or something like that. So no, I, I, I've never, I love listening to you guys for that reason, because you talk about a lot of stuff that I've just never been exposed to, you know, and and it's really good for me to like learn about some of this stuff. So. See, I find that interesting because I, I don't know, maybe it's because I had access to so much stuff as a kid. Like I would just, I love comics so much. And I was always curious. I'm like, well, what's, you know, like, what's house of mystery like i want to oh it's a spooky thing it's like oh what's uh orion you know wizard of atlantis like what's Mm -hmm. perez like what's you know mars patrol from goki i'm like what is all this stuff i'll I'll, i was always curious so i would like pick it up and thumb through it and be like okay this thing's not for me what's next in the box oh an issue of casper i like casper so i don't know i would just jump from one thing to the other like i would read like house of mystery and then read a Casper and then read a Batman or something like it was just, I know I just, I love comics so much. And I was, if I saw something, I didn't know what it was. I was just curious. I'm like, what's this about? And I'd give it a try. I do remember our, my comic seller was like way across town. So I had to like walk or ride a bike or something. I remember sneaking in a, into the house and it probably wasn't even sneaking um, an issue of heavy metal. (laughs) 14 you know, with a very, very, very scantily clad young lady on the cover of it with a big gun. On, on heavy metal? No way. Not heavy metal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's shocking. Um, but, I, I can but, feel I can feel the side eye on me now. <laughs> but but I remember that it was it was like, you know, it was it was the kind of feeling you'd get if you were bringing home uh, an X-rated magazine. It was just like, oh, well, this I've got this comic, but it's not a comic. You know, this is this is definitely adult material. So. But yeah, I remember bringing that home, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just for some reason I had that distinction, you know, that some comics were adult and some weren't, and uh, just trying to figure out which one was which. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting too because this. I mean, I guess then I guess if you look at that trend, because I know I know it's something I've said in the past. I, I'm usually referring to like Vertigo comics, you know, as as w- when when I was, you know, a teenager or even a young kid, realizing that those were you know, specifically targeted at, you know, a more mature audience or whatever. But like you, you, you'd almost argue like this is Cain and Abel and Cain and Abel transitioned into Sandman and Sandman became a Vertigo comic. So this is almost like a proto 70s Vertigo comic. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can literally track the character history, you know, to, to this title, you know, like it's like they're, literally you know historical characters that transitioned into being those i don't know adult vertigo characters and everything and then speaking to like justin's thing like it's funny because i think like i I think part of the reason why i never got into the house of mystery is because if you look at i mean you know i don't know i'm talking out of turn because i don't know too much about it but like to me like the, the big name character in it is what I just, well, I guess Cain and Abel, right? Like, like Cain and Abel are the hosts, right? But outside of Cain and Abel, the only feature that I can think of is I Vampire. And that was never on my radar until, you know, like I said, fairly recently, because I was like, oh, they redid it in the new 52. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me, let me see where, where it originated from or whatever. But, you know, I, I you could make the old, um, goofy era like some sometimes it's like oh jesus the house of mystery the house of secrets like which is which you know and like the house of secrets i read a whole lot more of because you know first appearance of swamp thing first appearance of eclipso like like all those things were like big on my radar because of who the characters were because i you know i love the swamp thing movie and i read all the swamp thing comics and it's like oh where does swamp thing first appear house of secrets 92 right and you're like oh okay and then and then when when eclipse of the darkness within came out and he got his own title and everything then it was like oh me trying to like predict what wizard was going to say was the next hot book i was like oh well let me let me find uh eclipso fighting prince raw man or you know whatever the hell right like i need to get the first appearance of dr bruce gordon and eclipso and that's that's why i i would pick up some of those titles but i don't i don't think there was anything in house of like maybe maybe had i um you, you know like maybe had my my mom followed you know certain things because i know she loved bernie Wrights and you know but the, again it was never anything you know just just based on the cover like maybe she didn't know because it was just a cover or you know i don't i don't know what but if it was you know the early swamp thing issues if it was creep show if it was uh you know uh she she bought me like the weird miniseries you know the the superhero one where it's like the the strange alien guy meets the justice league like you know anything that she kind of caught wind of that had bernie wrightson in it like she would pick up and kind of follow that so i I bet you she would have liked this cover but you know and and if if we had you know had enough information to know like i i i don't seem to remember i mean it's funny to say this now but at least when i looked at overstreet price guides i was always like oh you know where's the swamp thing appearance where's the silver surfer appearance but i i don't remember overstreet price guides like if you look through the house of mystery and i could be wrong i could be making this up but like uh, it, it at least wasn't on my radar like to look through an overstreet price guide and go oh is this a rights issue of this title and just follow 
the artist, you know, like, because I wasn't really the one doing it, you know, it was somebody else. But, you know, I, I, I do find that fascinating, like, because I know there's people that collect that do that now where it's like they, they might have never read the title, but because, you know, I don't know, John Byrne did it or because, you know, uh, Ron Friends did it or, you know, whoever, because Bernie Wrightson worked on it, you know, because Frank Frazetta worked on it or so, you know what I mean? Like whoever it was, like, you know, they, they key in on those particular issues and hunt them down, whether it's just a cover, like in this case, or, you know, in some cases, I'm sure he did like some interiors for some of these things. One thing that uh, I didn't pick up on, you know, reading this as a kid that I clearly see now is the husband and wife relationship in this. Like it, it's, it's clearly a May December romance, which mm. I guess romance is being kind because this this gentleman he appears to be early thirties, right? But the the woman is clearly, you know, she's gray headed. She's probably like late fifties, early sixties at least. So I think when I was a little kid, I was like, oh, he's trying to kill his wife. You know, I've I've seen that in movies and TV shows, but now I'm like, oh, it's clearly you know uh, a younger man taking advantage of an older woman in order to get her money when she's gone. So that kind of adds a, a new layer uh, to it for me as a, as an adult reading it now. Why, why was the, the shaman so like not modernized, like almost the shaman almost looks like a, um, a prehistoric human rather than like a modern day human. Hmm. I, I was flipping through that one. I was like, what? I don't know. I mean, I guess that's, it, 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 it's like the onion on your belt, you know? Like, I, I feel yeah, like, exactly. you know, I, I feel like that's the only thing I can point to. It was the style at the time, like, type thing. But, I mean, there, there's always those things where it, it gets uncomfortable to, to continue to have the conversation. But it's like, I, I remember there were, like, things where there were, like uh, voodoo zombies and swamp thing, and depending on you know what era you read it in, they're they're either colored awkwardly, like where their skin is purple instead of like you know a, a darker brown or whatever, you know. And then you look at like the the colored reprints, and they're they're you know they're colored sort of more appropriately or whatever. But then in this case, you're like, oh well, is it you know is it just that the the you know the person is so so old and decrepit or is there is there some aspect of that where it's just like the the four color you know press they they couldn't come up with anything other than you know what you can see you know yeah yeah it was just it, it's definitely a sign of the times in the art so in a city where corruption rules the streets only one man can stop the serial killer known as the Blood Bandit. James Kurt, a former police officer turned private investigator, must race against the clock to stop the madman before he achieves his ultimate diabolical goal. When JK's brother Alex is thought killed in the line of duty and mysteriously returns with no memory of his past life, the stakes are raised even higher. Enigma, the comic book series from Quadam Productions, Written and illustrated by T.J. Damon, with colors and effects by Jason Vickers. Enigma. Order your copy at quadimproductions.com today. So it sounds like we've we've exhausted our uh, our commentary on uh, 
entering the house of mystery. So I guess we'll we'll take a step of one foot out of the house of mystery, and we'll uh, we'll take a step into uh, the tales of sword and sorcery, which feature Dagar the Invincible. I believe it's Dagar. I don't I don't know. How do you how do you say it, John? I think that's how I would say it. I would say uh, we could call him Phonan. Mm, mm, Phonan. Yes, yes. There's the. I, I I think there's a lot of comparisons you could make. Like as I was as I was reading it, I felt like it it definitely borrowed from from a lot of great classic uh, either pulp or or comic uh, characters. Like certain tropes, I felt like stood out to me, but. So uh, wh- why don't you tell everybody who's listening, like what what issue you picked, and you know, kind of let us know what happens in it, and and you know, kind of go into maybe why it creeped you out as a kid. All right, um, this is Dagar the Invincible, and the title of the story is Domain of the Vengeful Dead. It was this was actually a series, and this is issue fourteen that came out. Uh, well, at least the published date's January nineteen seventy six. And it's by Western Publishing that did Gold Key Comics. And I think they had another imprint. I think this got printed under something else as well. But as I was kind of saying, it's it's like they color swapped Conan's woman and him for their hair and called it a day. Because Dagar is the, the, the barbarian, but he's blonde instead of dark haired. And the woman is got the, you know, the metal bikini on. Uh, the top and then just like some furs on the bottom she's got dark hair so do with that as you will and in this story uh, Dagar and Graylin his woman uh, the woman of his heart are followed by a hooded figure in the beginning and that figure is turns out to be a death kind of grim reaper type of character death tricks Dagar into killing Graylin and then says well you can save her if you go into my world takes him into his world and um, essentially says you can have the box with her soul if you give me yours or you guys can be together forever blah 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 so Dagar's faced with either giving up his soul and to do that death has essentially thrown some of his greatest hits of uh, Dagar's past into, into the fray against him and they, they come to a point where Dagar gives up his soul because his woman is now, Graylin has now said no, you did me wrong, you didn't save me when you could have and they, he says fine I'll give up my soul So uh, he gets starts to get his soul sucked away and he's like wait, she'd never say that I don't give up my soul you can't take me if I'm not willing and kills the death character um, essentially and saves his woman by opening the box with her soul and they get sucked right back to where they were before the story started. Yeah. Sound about right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for I okay. the only the only thing I, I think he notices like her lifeless body still on that little stone pillar. Okay. Like I think that's the other thing that gives him the clue where he's like, wait a minute, how could she have told me off if she's like unconscious on that pillar with no soul, you know, and then and then that's where he sort of puts it together that he's like, wait, at the beginning I was tricked with an illusion, so so Graylin telling me off could have been another illusion, you know. So he kind of puts all that together. But yeah, I um, I I've never read this before, um, and and uh, not just not just Conan, like like I I feel like when he has those visions, like where it's um, 
you must remember Rosar, the sorceress of the Emerald Flame. I loved you in life, but you rejected me indirectly, causing the death that doomed me to this dark world. Like, she's a hot blonde that, like, wants him, and, and he rejected her. Like, to me, that's like Thor and the Enchantress, you know? Like, and then that... Yeah, and, and that, that death character, like, constantly, like, pining. He's, like, super thirsty for... Uh, uh, Dagar's soul, like that's his whole goal. He wants him to give up his soul. Like that kind of reminded me of uh, Mephisto and the Silver Surfer. Like Mephisto was always like trying to get the Silver Surfer's soul and taunting mm-hmm. him with illusions of Shalabal and all that. You know that that's kind of you know like there there was just so many things in this where it was, you know, like it was like you just put all these kind of faux versions of stuff in a blender and stuck it all together but i i I thought it was really fun and i i get why this would have creeped you out because that that moment where he does give up his soul and then he becomes that like horrible thing with the bulging eyes and the 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 like jaundiced skin and 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 he's like atrophying like like that's so like if, if you imagine if you identify with the character and you imagine that slowly happening to yourself like you it's like i could understand why that would be you know something that would like super creep you out right like could you imagine if he didn't figure it out and didn't like save the day and he just ended up like that then then that would have been like really like a major bummer right yeah that is the exact page that i have picked this issue for yeah yeah i i remember now i read this it had to be fairly new so i'm guessing um I probably read it in 676, 77, maybe up to 78. I would have read it, and I would have been between 5 and 7 probably when I read it. And I had never seen anything like that. You know, that, that horrible skeletonized... And, and it, he's in such... I mean, it almost looks like he's in writhing pain as the soul's being sucked out of him in these different panels. and Like, his face is all contorted and everything. But then when I saw that image... I literally remember slamming the cover of this comic shut, picking it up, taking it over to my little kid comic book pile, putting it in the middle, and and walking away from it. Because that that image just disturbed me. And and it wasn't like, well, I was I'm not gonna go tell my parents that this, I'm really upset about this comic because I'll sound like I'm an idiot. They'll never buy me another comic. Mm. And I remember I forced myself like a week or two later to finally open it up and and look at it again and then finish the story. But I remember for years that would, I would remember that image. And I, I would, I collected some Conan and some Red Sonia later on, but it took a little, like probably till I was in like junior high, high school before I would do that. And I think even like, like you mentioned Frazetta before, I think um, I kind of shied away from his art in general, just because it reminded me of that comic. Hmm. You know, especially since this has got that 70s, like, overworked, hyper-detailed. I mean, it's got a lot of yeah. line in it and, and everything else. And, you know, that didn't look like – that didn't look like my Star Wars comics for sure. And, you know, it didn't look like Batman. It, it, and I just kind of associated that with, like, Frazetta and some of the stuff he was doing. And, I mean, this thing's got a great painted cover on it where Dagar's facing off against a skeleton. So, um, yeah, as a kid, I, I literally, like, remember slamming – distinctly still slamming the cover of the shut and just stopping reading at that panel. Yeah. And I think, I think at the end they credit, um, 
it's Don Glut wrote it and and Jesse F. Santos did the art. And I, I think you can see the signature on um, on that that painted cover as well. So um, and yeah, it, it does have that kind of uh, I mean, to me, it you know, it reminds me kind of of like a, a very, you know, either Kubert or, or when they, they talk about, you know, Nestor Redondo is who I was thinking of. Like, like, so like that, just those, you know, seventies type vibes. Cause I was thinking of, you know, either, you know, some, some of Kubert's, you know, Joe Kubert's stuff or, or Nestor Redondo has those kind of, you know, I don't know, the, the seventies kind of, um, like you said, like rendered and, and, and there's some aspect of it that's, kind of scratchy and 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 has those those vibes about it and everything so i can i can totally see um you, you said you know for zeta too like i i mean I, I i can see those things like the 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 i guess ephemera of of the issue like seems to stand out and and it's funny too because you think like oh i mean i don't know i'm curious too like like did um I thought it was kind of an unusual because he, he goes through some of these visions, these torments, and like some of it has to do with his backstory, how he, you know, witnessed all his family and his village die. And that in some ways, you know, obviously this this came way before it, but it kind of reminded me of Exo Manowar, you know, like that, uh, you know, Eric of Dacia, you know, Visigoth, whatever, like, you know, he, he lost all his family to the Romans. Right. So that, that's kind of what that reminded me of. But then like, I, I don't have a real analogy for this guy, but he, he fights one of his old bad guys called Scorpio. And like, like he, he kind of looked, I don't know, kind of like a Ming, the merciless looking guy or whatever. He kind of has these, these yeah. green, green skin or whatever, you know? And, yeah. and then like that vampire guy, like is the most unusual looking, it was like a Jeepers Creepers fucking vampire, like the most unusual looking vampire that I've, I think I've ever seen, you know, like, so, I mean, there, there, there were lots of things where I wondered like, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't know that I would have been creeped out by that vampire, but it did. It, it didn't look like your traditional vampire. That's for sure. No, definitely. Um, the one thing that I thought was kind of confusing in the artwork is when Scorpio brings out his two henchmen, the vampire and then the skeleton dude. The skeleton dude kind of looks like the death character to me. And I remember one of the times I read it as a kid, I probably only read it twice as a kid. I couldn't tell which, you know, I kind of got him confused. And I was like, well, wait, he killed the death character back here. You know, it just confused me uh, just because they both have a green robe. And then, you know, they both have that grim reaper Charon kind of vibe to them. But yeah, and it, it is odd because he, odd. Yeah. he he knocks the mace out of his hands. And like, I don't know if he's supposed to have like, like gloved hands or, or, you know, like some kind of steel gauntlets or something but like it's it's weird because when he knocks the mace out of his hand it looks like a regular hand with like you know four digits and a thumb but then then when he really knocks the hell out of him you, you see like it's just a skull and bones underneath that cloak and like you're like well wait a minute was it a skeleton or was you know what i mean like like yeah. i could see why that would add to your confusion right because it's like it had a skull face but it, it you know that easily could be like um you know that that panel where they introduce the it, it's called the skeleton of ostelian 
Um, like that almost looks like uh, Mask of the Phantasm, you know, like Batman Mask of the Phantasm, oh, where yeah. it's just like, you, you know, it's like, it, 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 yes, it has a skull mask, but the rest of it looks like kind of like, you know, a dude under there or something, not like a skeleton. But then when you, you know, you smash the guy in the cloak, then he turns into a skull and bones. And that, I mean, maybe that's just part of the nightmarish aspect of this, you know, reality or something, if you want to give it a no prize. But, but I mean, I, I totally see what you're saying. And they're both, the, the cloaks are both green, you know, like they could have done something to, you know, like maybe one guy has a, you know, a red cloak and the other guy has a green cloak or something, you know, like something different. But it seemed like they, they were using all the same, um, you know, it, color palettes on that, too. So well, it definitely doesn't help that this whole issue looks like it was probably colored on by somebody on LSD at the time, because mm. there are some really wild things in some of the transitions where. I, I think know. that's what makes it kind of great. I don't know. Like, I. I, I love this. Like, to me, this is like a Conan homage, but like in the best way. It's like you could look at this and say like, oh, man, this is a Conan ripoff. Or you can go, no, this is like a, a love letter to Robert E. Howard. And that's kind of how I oh, choose to see it, because like I've read a lot of Robert E. Howard stories. And so th this comic kind of feels like reading a Robert E. Howard short story. I know that probably doesn't make sense, but like, because it's a comic and, you know, there, there are Conan comics, but I thought this was no, great. I like, see what you're saying. It, it definitely reads more like one of his short stories than any of the comics that follow it. Yeah, but I, I think the art is great. I think, you know, I don't know. I think the coloring adds a lot to it, and I kind of like the when he's fighting those different opponents it, to, to make it feel like to put, or to put a modern term on it, it feels like he's doing like a boss run, like he's fighting, you know, the boss rush in a video game or something. Like that's kind of how I looked at it. This kind of took me back because, you know, I, I mentioned my uncle. and When I started like collecting my own comics, like one of the things I noticed is my uncle had a lot of gold key comics. And I was like, my little kid brain was like, oh, those must, those must be like, you know, collectible and worth a lot of money. So I, I I bought a lot of Gold Key comics, and I, you know, I bought a lot of Dagar. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say a lot because I think there's only like 19 or 20 issues. I don't know yeah. that I ever like sat down and actually read a Dagar. And and then going back to the Gold Key collecting, like what I didn't recognize is that most of the stuff my uncle was collecting was like the Gold Key comics if they had like a photo cover, like Star mm. Trek or. The Man from Uncle, or my favorite Martian, or the Adams Family. Like he he would he would buy the the photo cover specifically, and those were worth money. Like I I can remember going somewhere with him, and he bought a Three Stooges Gold Key comic, and I was like, why is he buying this? And then I think years later, he he kind of explained it to me after the fact. He's like, oh, anytime you see you know Gold Key with the photo cover, you get it, especially if it's Star Trek number one. And I was like, oh, so I have all these like. Issues of Dagar and Space Family Robinson and Mighty Samson, and I'm like, oh, those probably aren't worth as much as you know a photo cover of uh, Honey West or something. But um, yeah, it's weird. I don't. I had a lot of Dagar. I don't know that I ever actually sat down and read one. I think I just kind of like, I was like, ooh, a gold key, and I got it cheap, and I kind of, I think I just kind of put it in the box and left it in its you know bag and board. Unfortunately, but I. Yeah, reading this was – I thought this was great, man. I thought this was a great choice. And it is very, very spooky and creepy. And 
going to what Derek said, it is a really weird vampire. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen that interpretation visually of a vampire in a comic before either. So I was like, oh, this is a vampire. He feels more like a weird, like, hairy demon or something, or a gargoyle. Like, not not a vampire. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's really... I, I'm not against it. It's just an interesting choice the artist made, I guess. And then to your point, like, yeah, the dude, the next dude, I, I, I thought that was death also, you know, because it's like, oh, he's trying to get his girl's soul back. Like, oh, well, he's fighting death for her soul. And, oh, well, it's not death. Okay, well, it's an interesting choice. But still, like, I, I again, I thought this was really great. Well, good, good. Yeah, I mean, you could almost take this story and hit the same beats and do it with anybody you know that that's the thing that kind of i liked about the story overall rereading it as an adult you know this could be a a doctor strange comic this could be a mm, yeah batman comic it could be it, you know you could you could put it into anything really that had any had any hint of mystery to it or supernatural to it at all uh, and it would probably fit well i'm glad you guys enjoyed that though because uh i was like oh i wonder i wonder what they're gonna think of this one no, no, this is this is yeah. fun. I mean, it it definitely the the other thing I kind of like about it is it's not one of those gold key comics that has like a weird. I mean, at least you can look at the Indicia and like see like okay, it's issue fourteen, and you know when I looked it up, I was like, oh wow, there's like you know like Justin said, there's like about nineteen of them or whatever. Like I kind of perused. Like I was just curious when um, Graylin. You know, I was like, was Graylin like there from the beginning? And it's like she wasn't, but she shows up pretty early, like by like the third issue or something. So I'm yeah. like, oh damn, he's like he's in with her for the long haul, right? Like so it's like I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is this is pretty cool. And and you know, it's it's funny too, because like I feel like you could apply all kinds of uh all kinds of uh, character types to you know, like 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 Thundar and He-Man and, you know, uh, uh, the the guys from, like, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. You know, like, the, yeah. it just seems like there, there's a lot of those kind of sword and sorcery type characters that you could sort of, uh, you know, see roots in or pin it to. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I feel like all those kind of spring from, from Robert E. Howard and Conan. But then, you know, it seems like, it's a it's a hodgepodge of you know like I said I I feel like it's a, like sprinkles of Conan sprinkles of Silver Surfer sprinkles of like you said Doctor Strange or you know what wh whatever it is right and and you sprinkle all that together you shake it all up and you get your like you know kind of weird tasting martini but it's it tastes good man like I mean it's it's a good martini you know you know when I saw uh, Donald Clutt's name on this I was like I know that name. And I, and I had to look him up, and I didn't realize he wrote the uh, the novelization for Empire Strikes Back. So it's got a little tiny Star Wars tie in there, too, but wouldn't have affected this issue, obviously. But um, I probably about wore that book out as a kid. So that was kind of kind of a cool, like, little, oh, hey, that's neat. And then I don't think he wrote a whole lot else after that. He mainly did Gold Key stuff, so. Says he worked on like adaptations of like Superman and Spider-Man too, GI Joe, Galactic Guardians, Superpowers Team, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, Challenge of the Gobots, Transformers, like a lot of stuff. It looks like. 
That was his TV. Yeah, screenwriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, can I talk about something that bugged me? Sure. And it has nothing to do with the issue, John. It's, you're going to laugh, it's the Hostess Cupcake ad. Why does Bugs Bunny have green gloves? Why? (laughs) That bugs the crap out of me. Like, have you never seen a Bugs Bunny cartoon? He doesn't have green gloves. Come on. Dude, he's he's about to murder Porky Pig for that fucking hostess <laughs> cupcake. That's why he's got green gloves. Uh, Porky, by by the grace of God, is still alive, and Bugs Bunny has his hostess cupcake, right? I, I love the ads in this issue too. I mean, that's just totally retro seventies stuff. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. That the character patches, like that's. <laughs> That's cool too. In the t-shirts and the transfers. And... I like the six million dollar man ads. Like I, reading back issues in the you know late eighties, like I didn't, I don't think I knew. You know, kind of like growing up watching like reruns of sixty show. Like I didn't know the stuff was already twenty years old, ten years old. So I was like, ooh, I want a six million dollar man action figure. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you can't get that. That's like you know. 10 years old or whatever already you can't you can't just walk into walmart and get a six million dollar man action figure in 1988 or 86 or whatever um oh you know i did i did do some research on this and and just to to for the date wise like i know the cover date is uh 1976 because it's january and it's on that cusp um, it, it, it's on sale date on Mike's Amazing World is October 2nd, 1975. And then I, I sort of came up with that before I even looked at Mike's because I was reading that this was released quarterly. So so I was like, oh, so it started in 1972. And then you think about it, four issues in 1972, four issues in 1973, four issues in 1974, four issues in 1975 you're like oh that's about 16 issues and this is issue 14 so i was like ah it must have been released sometime in 1975 and sure enough it was so yeah good good little investigation there yeah yeah i i i was trying to figure out because i would not have based on that cover i would not have picked this as a kid i can only imagine that i got it in like some kind of gold key three pack cello bag thing that probably had Bugs Bunny or somebody as a, as an issue in front of it. I'm betting this was probably the middle comic when I bought it. <laughs> but you imagine that. Oh, hey, I got my kid this, you know, uh, comic of Bugs Bunny. And uh, in the middle was this swords and sorcery thing about death and, you know, the afterworld. That that. Your hero slowly atrophied into a, a yellow jaundiced bug eye thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting because those, yeah, it's like when you, you know, I think for me, I think usually the three packs I ended up getting were themed, you know, like they actually had three of the same thing, but I, I remember those three packs where they tried to, you know, pull the wool over your eyes, you know, give you, you know, something good on the the two outsides, but maybe, you know, throw in something that you weren't, like, super keen on in the middle. So they were trying to, like, you know, unload some of those unsold gold key comics or whatever. And that was, like, the sandwiched comic in between or whatever. But, I mean, 
Yeah, and then it's also interesting too because I think some of the comics I cherish the most. I know when we were talking about you know magic, like I would have never gone after magic on my own had it not sort of been given to me, right? And like you're saying, you you, you never would have had any maybe. You know, I don't I don't know if being creeped out is a cherished childhood memory or not, but, you know, you, you wouldn't have had that memory, you know, had it not sort of been snuck in a sandwich between, you know, a three pack of comics. Right. So that's yeah. I always find that fascinating that, you know, you can you can form kind of these nostalgic emotional bonds with something that maybe you, you never would have been drawn to of your own volition, but because it was something that was gifted to you or that you stumbled upon, you know, you feel like it's this grand discovery or, or however you look at it. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 I actually picked this topic just for this issue because I needed therapy and this was a cheap way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, 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 you know, we're not, we're not licensed. We're not qualified, but you know, Hey, whatever we're, we're happy to help it and not to rub it in justin but i had that six million dollar man and the space capsule oh man <laughs> what what scale was that he was like an odd like because he was even taller than the uh the the regular star wars large size figures he was like 12 12 and a half inches oh okay, I mean, okay. he was big big but he was like a hard brittle plastic i know because i dropped him once and broke like a big chunk out of his left arm and it was basically oh, for the for the rest of the time i had him um, like not not so six million dollar man are you now <laughs> now and he had extra arms and extra legs you could buy and i, I remember I, I found the hiding place one christmas when i got those and i knew about him before christmas <laughs> uh, yeah he was pretty cool though i mean he's a cool figure but yeah i mean he didn't quite scale with any G.I. Joe's or the large size Star Wars or Barbie or any of those. Because the girl next door had Barbie stuff. I would always go over there and take my Star Wars figures with me. Han Solo was quite the, quite the Barbie's lady, man. I'll just say that. Nice. Nice. I was like, I guess Steve Austin didn't get any Barbie action then, huh? No. No. Matter of fact, I think that's where I broke his arm was over at her house. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. All right. Well, I think I think we're good on uh, Dagar, so I guess it leaves it to me. And um, so I, I brought something tonight, and so you've you've got a choice, Justin. I can I can either insert the the power record uh, audio here, and then we can talk about it, or I can read a synopsis I stole from Rob Kelly. So that that's your choices. So tell insert, me which one you want to do. Insert. Okay, insert, insert. You're good with that. All right, we're gonna insert it. 
It is 3 a.m. at the Gotham First National Bank, and the clicking noises you hear are the tumblers of a lock magnified many times by intricate amplification equipment. That's a boy, Mitch. You're doing fine. We're almost home. The lock belongs to First National's maximum security walk-in vault, but to three highly specialized bank robbers, no security seems to be maximum enough. Hey, that does it. She's ready to open. All the other alarms have been shut off. Probably pull the door. All that money. A Federal Reserve deposit of millions waiting for us just on the other side of that door. Jeez, Mitch, this thing is two feet thick. Okay, I'm helping, I'm helping. Almost. Just a little more. Good evening, gentlemen. We're glad you could drop by. Batman! Don't you fellas know it's polite to not press People waiting inside! No, it isn't fair. Look at them move. Every crook makes at least one mistake, French, and your gang is no exception. Your mistake was falling for the phony news item Batman planted about a huge Federal Reserve deposit in this branch. Hey, what are we running here at debate? Let's plug them! You're on top of it already! You Robin and I prefer a fight without guns, and we expect the same from you. Batman, look out! The third one has another gun? Not a gun, boy wonder. Something far more useful. A bank robber flips a switch on the strange circuit-studded gadget in his hand, and at once the air is filled with a piercing, ear-splitting sound. Oh, me too, Robin. I can't even think straight. That's the whole idea behind our sonic disruptor, Batman. A few more seconds of this, and you and the punk will be on the floor in agony. Yeah, while we stand back and enjoy the show, thanks to the special high-frequency earplugs the three of us are wearing. Oh, covering my ears as tight as I can. It doesn't help. Hold on as long as you can, Robin. Fight it. Yet not even the dynamic duo can withstand the terrible onslaught of sound for long. And as they drop to their knees... Ah, seeing this was worth getting beat up for! From every direction, the nightmarish screeching sound seems to surround them until the bank robbers look up to see a frightening form circling above their heads. A creature the size of a man with the unmistakable ears and leathery wings of a bat. What is it? the most horrible thing I've ever seen. Sonic Disrupted doesn't even phase it. I'm getting out of here. Me too. Wait for me. In the frenzied confusion, the Sonic Disruptor falls and its ear-splitting drone ceases at once as the cowled crusader and the boy wonder look up to see. <laughs> Batman, that thing, it's going after the bank robbers. I know, Robert. Hey, hey, put me down. Oh, it's got me in its claws. Look out. He's dropping you on top of us. It slammed two of them together. Now it's pulling the third crook into the air. Help! Ah! And knocking him senseless into the side of the wall. What a show! <coughs> the creature's flying away, Batman. Let's go after it. No, Robin. The least we can do in gratitude for its help is to leave Man-Bat in peace. Man-Bat? You know this guy? Monster? Whatever he is? Yes, and I know he must be in great pain right now. That's why he flew off. I don't understand. Like a true bat, Man-Bat's hearing is ultra-sensitive to even the minutest sounds. If you think that sonic disruptor was rough on us, I'd hate to imagine how it must have felt to him. He must be a very brave man. Uh, he is a man, isn't he? Robin, I think it's time you heard the full story of my friend Kirk Langstrom. 
Kirk Langstrom, the eminent nocturnal mammal expert, had long been a fan of mine and a supporter for everything the name Batman stood for. Well, it was several years ago that hundreds of hours of hard work finally brought him on the verge of an incredible discovery in the confines of his lab under the Gotham Museum. That does it, my leathery winged friend. I've taken the final dose of my serum. Now we wait, you and I. The friend Langstrom spoke to was a live bat, and the serum was a specially prepared gland extract he had derived from the creature for human consumption. He later told me he came up with the serum as a gift for me, but being the thorough scientist he was, tested the serum on himself first. And at first, the results seemed impressive. That infernal noise is unbearable. What in heaven's name can be causing so much racket? Langstrom was both startled and tremendously excited when he traced the noise to its source, astonished to discover it was nothing more than... Uh, a dripping faucet. But to me, it sounded like splashing tidal waves. My hearing has become incredibly sensitive. The first bat characteristic that proves my serum is working. And then the next sign became painfully apparent when Langstrom rushed to his desk to jot down some notes. I can't stand the light of that desk lamp. I've got to put on my sunglasses. They're in my jacket. Once he found the dark lenses, he put them on and switched off the light, only to get a third surprise. I'm navigating in utter darkness without bumping into a thing. My vocal cords are emitting ultrasonic signals, and my super-sensitive hearing picks them up when they bounce back. I've done the impossible. I now possess the natural radar of... A bat! Yes, Langstrom had achieved the impossible, all right. Far more so than even his wildest imaginings. Because when he happened to look down at his hands... Oh, my God! My hands! They're growing hairy! With claws! Like a bat! I... I don't understand. Can this be a side effect of the gland extract? I'll put on some gloves. It's only temporary. It has to be. But while preparing to go out, he encountered still another ominous sign. My hat! What pushed it off my head? By now, Langstrom already knew the worst. But he had to run to a mirror to see the horrible, ghastly truth for himself. <gasps> I have giant ears, red eyes, fur instead of skin. This can't be happening. But it is. I've become a... a man bat. <laughs> Once the initial shock of his nightmarish fate had worn off, Langstrom remained at his museum lab late into the night, trying to discover where his serum had gone wrong. Until his work was interrupted by a ruckus in the jewelry exhibit upstairs in the museum. It was the Blackout Gang at work, a group that wore special equipment to enable them to operate in the dark. But that night they were encountering opposition, namely me. It's Batman! We've got the advantage! We can see him, but he can't see us! Jump him! I was badly outnumbered, but with that many rats in my back, anywhere I punched, my fist connected. I was holding my own well enough when all of a sudden... I see it too, but I wish I didn't! This freak is even worse than Batman! Yes, Robin, that night I had a new ally, as Batman and Man-Bat fought side by side to mop up the rest of the gang. You all right, Batman? Sure, friend. Thanks to you. There's so much I need to know about you. No! It's all gone wrong! I want no part of you or anyone else! 
Don't go. Come back. Let me try to help you. He flew off into the night, and it wasn't until months later that I learned that he was really Kirk Langstrom, and that his once noble mind had become dangerously unstable as a result of the serum. That's some story, Batman. Did it ever have a happy ending? Finally, after several months, I was able to catch up with him and administer the chemical antidote that turned Langstrom back to his human form. Everyone had high hopes for his recovery, especially when Langstrom decided to marry his fiancée, Francine, soon after that. And then what happened? They married, but by that time, Langstrom had relapsed into man-bat again. And he persuaded poor Francine to take the gland extract so that she, too, became a bat. It was his way of getting her to prove her love for him. Man, those two have been through a lot. And I thought the worst was behind them until tonight. Poor Langstrom must have suffered another... Look out! Langstrom's back, but he's not making sense. Wait a minute, Robin. I think I understand. This isn't Langstrom! Good grief! The thing has swooped up Batman! The fearsome creature of the night and the caped crime fighter locked themselves in furious and frenzied combat over Robin's head. I've got to do something. I know. My utility belt. Quickly, the teen wonder extracts a certain capsule and hurls it upward into the fray, where it breaks open in the face of Batman's monstrous opponent. Good thinking, Robin. That sneezing powder ought to give me the advantage I need. But just as Batman wrenches himself loose from the suffering creature, still another inhuman sound tears through the air. And as Batman agilely lands on the floor... Oh, my gosh. Now there are two of them. The man-bats are fighting. No, they're not. The second one is trying to calm down the first, and he needs help. The masked manhunter extracts a bat rope and a batarang from his utility belt, and with skills and reflexes honed to absolute perfection, he flings the batarang upward. Right on, Batman. Your bat line is wrapping itself around both of them, binding them together. Now they can't use their wings. And without their wings... Man-bats don't fly. But when the dynamic duo runs up to the grounded inhuman pair... Look, Batman. The bigger one's got something in his hand. They're... They're two hypodermic needles. Now I know what to do. And Batman does it, wasting no time and injecting each creature with one of the hypodermics. Oh, they're changing. Losing their wings. Becoming human again. Becoming a man and a woman. Oh, Kirk, I'm so sorry. I lost control of myself. To think I would try and kill Batman. It's okay, honey. It was the serum warping your mind. You didn't know. What happened, Kirk? It's all a misunderstanding, Batman. I was long overdue from an expedition in South America, and poor Francine was worrying about me here at home. Yesterday I was rummaging through Kirk's lab, very depressed, and I was so despondent I mistook the bat extract serum for my own drink. The next thing I knew, I was a bat... Once the serum affected her mind, Francine became wildly insane. And when I finally got home this morning, I found frantic scrawls drawn all over the walls, blaming you, Batman, for my disappearance. I get it. So you took a dose of the serum yourself, figuring the only way to stop a man-bat is with another man-bat. That's right. But when I finally located you two a few hours ago, you were up against that terrible sonic disruptor. So I gave you a helping hand with those bank robbers. I'll say you did. That must have been murder on your bat ears. And while Kirk took some time to recover, Francine caught up with us and attacked. Batman, can you ever forgive me? I already have, Francine. Well, I may never forgive you, Batman, 
Not unless you get around to introducing me to your friends. <clears throat> uh, sorry, Robin. Uh, Kurt, uh, Francine, I'd like you to meet my protege and junior partner. All right. So, uh, so yeah, so you've just heard the, the Power Records audio of Robin Meets Man Bat, which was on sale uh, around 1976, this Power Record. And basically, it's like a combo of uh, about three different Batman comics with, with original story, like that kind of blends them all together. So like Detective Comics 400, 402, and 407 all have to do with Man Bat. And so, uh, you know, being uh, as enthralled with this power record book and recording as I was when I was a kid, uh, I not not that uh, it's something that's easily afforded, but every time I do see a page from this come up in the original art market, I go, ooh. But what you'll notice is if it's actually from this power record, uh, a lot of the times uh, when it deals with the the flashback portions where the, the actual original art is from, say, Detective Comics 402 or 400 or something, there are uh, lots of stats on the... the uh, Robin meets Man Bat page, but some of the some of the pages actually do have all original art because basically, like a lot of the framing sequences with Robin are are essentially original. But then when it goes into like, you know, flashbacks and 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 some of his first appearances and you know some of the the wedding and different things that it kind of goes into, uh, that is. Uh, you know, pulled from from those issues. So it's not it's not entirely a reprint, but aspects of it are reused from those other comics and everything. The uh, the original detective comics uh, were written by Frank Robbins, and the art is by the the classic team of Neil Adams and Dick Giordano. Um, this probably was. The very, I mean, outside of like filmation Batman cartoons and Adam West TV shows, like this was the first Batman comic I think I'd ever quote unquote read. Um, and because of that, like it's got a super nostalgic place in my heart. I mean, it's, yeah, I put it as number one on my top 10 list of favorite. Batman stories uh, because of this. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess it's one of those infamous things like uh, that people say on podcasts, like because of this, I thought Man Bat was a big deal or at least I knew I knew who Man Bat was. So like where, when most people were sort of scratching their head when uh, on Leathery Wings premiered on uh, Batman, the animated series and went, who the hell is Man Bat? Like I was kind of like. I was like Leo DiCaprio even back then, like pointing at the TV, like man bat, you know, like I know that I know that guy because I had, you know, this this was burned into my brain. I must have listened to the the the, uh, you know, record like, you know, 20 billion times. Um, the art, I mean, it it can't go without saying like. It's just fucking fantastic neil adams art like like everything in this looked so goddamn real to me at the time like this was 
this was that style where you're like, you know, you you watch Adam West and kind of go, oh, that's the best that Batman can look in real life. And then you read this and went, holy shit, they need to figure out how to do that in real life. You know what I mean? And I don't I, I you know, I know there's been a lot of great Batman movies and I'm not here to decry any of them, but they've never like if they could just make like a live action Batman look like Neil Adams made him like that would just tickle me to death. And, um, and I just, you know, this whole thing, like I love it. And then getting to the theme, the comics that creeped you out as a kid, you know, I've, I've, I've repeatedly sort of mentioned, you know, in, in various iterations of this show, you know, this podcast, you know, something that has always freaked me out is what I like to term body horror. And, you know, when you you kind of, you know, I don't know, you you sympathize, you 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 sort of, uh, in, you know, you you kind of put yourself in the place of these characters like Kirk Langstrom testing the serum on himself. And then, you you know, it's it's that moment where his hands get all hairy and then his hat falls off and, and that moment where he looks at himself in the mirror. And it's you know what it was, too, was. I, I don't think, you know, as much as Batman the Animated Series is heralded, like, Man-Bat in that looked so uh, large and so brown, I guess. Like, it it never, ever had that body horror aspect for me because it was more like, you know, a, a safe, incredible Hulk, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde transformation. Whereas this in this book was so slow and so subtle where it was like, you know, that feeling you get in Alien Resurrection when you see the alien human hybrid and how just wrong it looks like where you're like, that thing is a fucking abomination like that. That's how I felt when I saw Kirk Langstrom look at himself in the mirror as a little kid where I was like he still he wasn't quite brown like he was kind of fleshy like he was kind of human and he was kind of bat like and it was almost like his human half had like his ears had grown bigger and 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 he had just i don't know morphed into this like horrific looking thing and you know it was just that moment had always stood out to me and then i think the other thing that really freaked me out and and maybe maybe this goes back to me being like scared of like hot independent uh furry women like tiger or whatever but like when it came to the part about uh francine drinking the serum and then to me it looked like 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 when they had those scrawls like because the scrawls were in red i was just like oh man this like i i don't even think i knew what this was as a little kid when i was reading it but like i was like this is some serious manson shit right here like batman you killed my mate i kill batman and it looks like it's you know it's not like ketchup and shit it looks like it's like blood red to me as a kid and you know those kind of things like just made it you know, the, the 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 way everyone looked so realistic, you know, the style and everything, it just made it all kind of real, kind of creepy. And, and the, the, the kind of mad scientist stuff with the beakers and all that stuff kind of gave me that universal monster vibe. And anyway, I, I, I mean, I, I could talk about this for 
forever. You know, like like I love this so much, but I, I don't know about you guys, if you guys have history with it, if, if this is the first time you've ever read it, like or, or even listened to the power record. Like, so I, I'm kind of curious, like what your guys's take on it is. I actually do have history with this one. I had it on. I didn't have the comic version, though. I had an audio only version. Of OK, it. OK. Like one of those, like just uh, 45s or whatever. Or... No, no, it was actually a 33 and a third and it had a bunch okay. of stories on it. OK. And, um, so because of that, I'd never saw any art or anything to go with it. But kind of the same thing. Yeah. When when Man Bat came up in uh, Batman, the animated series, I was like, oh, I know who that is. And, and I couldn't remember why, but I knew who he was. Mm. But yeah, uh, so unfortunately, that kind of all that screeching and the sound effects and stuff in that one, it, that really made an impact on me that I was able to remember it. Um, because yeah, I mean, he, the whenever the, he's fighting the, the the bad guys at the beginning, you know, there's all that screeching going on, and he comes in, and then even when Francine comes in and she's doing that that screech, you know. Um, it's it's definitely horrifying to hear as a young kid, you know. You're you're not used to hearing that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely remember the story as soon as as soon as you sent along what it was. I was like, oh, I know that story. Mm. And I was like, why why do I know that story? But yeah, I mean, they didn't back away from from anything in in the story, or it, it's got that. It's almost a really heartbreaking story in a way. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know. It's definitely tragic, and they they didn't shy away from that, you know. Oh, it's a book and record for kids, but they didn't shy away from telling a story that, you know, really is is sad, and you know, it's it, you almost think it might end horribly tragic in the end, but it doesn't. But it could have, and yeah, yeah. And I I don't think it can be understated, like how I, I think it's funny to say this, but like these, these book and records, like the, the performances in these are really, you know, they, 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 whoever did these and put them together, like, cause I know there's not a lot of history on, on the entire thing, but it, it's just like, it's, it's so good, you know, like, like they, they, yeah. they didn't shy away. You know, it wasn't, you could tell it wasn't just like something they thought was for kids or whatever, you know, and, and, and the performances are great. Like the way the, the actor who plays Kirk Langstrom's voice, like cracks and, and, and screeches when, when he discovers like what, how he's transformed. I have ears and stuff, you know, like, like this, yeah, this whole, like heightened thing and everything. It's just, you know, and, and I, I used to love, you know, listening to that and, and, and then the visuals to go along with it. Like, it's just, you know, the, it, it, it's funny, but, you know, I, I know a lot of this springs from my nostalgia, but I, I just, I, you know, I, I can't not love it. You know what I mean? Like the, the, that, this, you know, Robin meets man bat is one of, uh, you know, I'd say a, a dozen comics that, is like a pure adrenaline shot of nostalgia that goes like straight into my veins. You know, like, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, guys like shooting up in their freaking thigh or whatever it is they did, like where it goes like straight to the bloodstream or whatever. Like that's, that's what this is for me. Yeah. I, um, I had two books and comics. Um, one was Spider-Man and ironically it's a transformation story because it was, Oh, did he become so, like the, the man spider or whatever? No, no, it was the 
it was J. Jonah Jameson's son when he oh, became Man Wolf. Man Wolf. Man Wolf. Yeah. Okay. So that whole story. And then I had a book and record for Beneath the Planet of the Apes. <gasps> which which if you think about it, that's not a kid friendly story. I'm no. They even no. did that one. And it's got the mutants and everything. You know, if if we were gonna just pick power records that creep you out as a kid, that would have been my my choice because I remember seeing those mutants in there and going, well, "What the hell?" Hey, I was I, I was uh, and they're talking about nuclear bombs and. I was I was over twenty when I first saw Beneath the Planet of the Apes and it creeped me the fuck out. So <laughs> show show my face into my innermost god. That's always gonna be burned in my brain. So I, I got you. Yeah. What about what you, about, Justin? Is this new? Yeah. I do have history with this. My cousin owned this. And he had a um, a Dukes of Hazard record player, and nice. So he had the uh, it came with a Dukes of Hazard record, and then he had other records like he had this. I think he had a Superman record, but I don't rem- I don't have a clear memory of that. I just remember it being around. So I have history with this. At some point, the record was lost or cracked or destroyed and we couldn't play it anymore so we just had the comic and then eventually the comic disappeared because i can remember like going back into like a storage building where some of our old toys were and looking for it i was like i I would like to find that and you know have it but i i could never find it and i i don't know if it just if he traded it to someone at school or if it got if it got so worn out, like it was thrown away, you know, my granny tossed it or something, but I don't, I don't know. But listening to the audio, I mean, like that was something because I, I don't think I've heard the audio since like, oh gosh, like 1988 or seven, maybe like I was real young, but like the, the screeching, I was like, I, that like gave me like kind of goose chills. I was like, I remember that. Like, it, it was just one of those things. It's like, I kind of hearing Batman's voice kind of struck a chord with me too. And I was like, yeah, that that's, that's familiar. But then like the screeching of like the man bat, that was, uh, that was something that stood out in my mind. But yeah, like uh, I have a lot of affection for this. Uh, I think the art is fantastic. You know, I'm going to back Derek up on that. One of the things I remember is the, I guess it's like the inside cover. It had like, you know, all these like, also available and it's like you know space 1999 conan mm-hmm. fantastic four star trek i remember just staring at that and i was like i want all of these but especially star trek but i want all of them and i never i don't think we ever got except for maybe that superman i kind of remember that being around which but i don't which which superman one did you get it's the one it's on the inside you know the little yellow it's got all the different squares it's yeah, like yeah. also i i can't is that Brainiac or what's no? It's not Brainiac. It's hard to see on the cover, but like I, like I said, I don't have a clear memory of it, but I know we had some kind of Superman, like comic record combo. So I'm assuming it's this one on the inside flat. But the the one that that's PR twenty eight in my book is the other power record that I had, and that's like Superman versus like the the aliens or whatever like it's it's a good superman story um but it's also kind of goofball because it's like (laughs) there are these 
like singing bullets that like fly down to earth like and they're aliens you know and stuff but um i mean it's like i i have nostalgic for you know nostalgia for it but i think it didn't, you know, it didn't make my list of like favorite <laughs> Superman stories or whatever. Like, I, I think it does have the rare distinction of because uh, I, I, I want to say it's mostly Kurt Swan art, although I, I wonder who exactly inked it. And I'm not 100 percent convinced it's all Kurt Swan, but a lot of it clearly is Kurt Swan. But I guess it has the distinction of. I'm not like the hugest Lois Lane like fan in the world or whatever, or I guess I, I, I maybe it's more accurate to say like, obviously like I, I think I like Superman with almost anybody but Lois Lane, but like in that particular book, there's something about Lois in that book where like she's very fetching and, and it's, it's, it's so counter to how I normally you know, mo- most times, I guess, I usually have a different reaction to Lois. And I think that was one of the few books where I was like, oh, hey, like, like, I don't know, there's something about her that was like, I don't know, Olivia Newton-John looking like I say that because my my, my mom would always make fun of me because I think when I was like a baby, I saw Olivia Newton-John on the screen and I got all excited or whatever, you know what <laughs> I mean? So it's like, I think that she had that thing going on, at least in that book and record for me, but I don't think she ever recaptured that, you know, later in comics reading or whatever. I, I have a question. I don't know if you can answer it. The little flap that you insert the record into, it says Frankenstein and Dracula also available. Like, I wonder... Is that like a universal or is it like a generic like Frankenstein and Dracula? Do you know? Uh, let me see. The, the, in the flap, I mean, Dracula, just... comma Frankenstein. There's there's a PR fourteen that's Frankenstein, a PR fifteen that's Dracula, but I don't think there's one that's both of them. Like I think, uh, I I want to say that they're they're um. You know what? I'd, I'd have to ask somebody else because I don't. Well, the Dracula I think is like Tomb of Dracula, so oh. I think the I think the Frankenstein one is also Marvel. Oh, but okay. but but I mean I I, I don't want to hundred percent commit to that, but I I think I'm right about that. Did they did they do the power do the GI Joe once too? I can't remember because they uh, had some GI Joe book and records, and I'm not sure if that was Power. Uh, I. So, because I had one of those, I don't think so. You know, that's weird. It lists Curse of the Werewolf like that's a Hammer film. Mm. So, so that maybe that can't maybe be... some of them like because because if if I understand correctly, like because this was produced by Continuity, like I think some of these were commissioned. So so some of them may very well not be like just reprints right like even that superman one i couldn't you know as far as i know that superman one is original to power records so it it could have been like they said oh hey make a you know make an adaptation of the the hammer thing since it's the 70s and it's it's the cool thing to do you know what i mean like and then neil adams or whoever at continuity you know they they put together the book and released it so i mean again i'm i'm kind of talking off the cuff but I, i i'm pretty sure at least what I'm saying kind of approximates, you know, what went down, you know? 
Makes sense. I was going to say, if not, that that Superman story had to be like a Silver Age or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny because I, I don't know that I'll, we'll ever talk about it on, on this show. But, like, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a good Superman story in the sense that, like, you know, he makes the bad guys his friends type thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like basically he doesn't. He doesn't obliterate these singing alien bullets. Do you know what I mean? Like he communicates with them and, and kind of explains to them, hey, you're fucking up our planet, guys. Like, like this isn't cool. And they're like, oh, we didn't mean to fuck up your planet. It's like, yeah, why don't you go like sing and, and, and go that direction? And there's a planet with nobody on it that'll like totally like hook you up. And they're like, oh, thanks, Superman. And then they go fuck off and sing somewhere else with their bullets or what you know what i mean like and it's like oh you know and 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 it almost becomes like this um i want to say like like close encounters of the third kind thing you know where it's like that you you almost like it's like it's beautiful if it wasn't like totally ravaging our planet you know what i mean like type thing you know like so but um I, you know it's 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 nice you know like it's not it's not the greatest thing in the world but it's 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 a fine story i i looked it up because i was curious Curse of the Werewolf is Werewolf by Night. Oh, okay, okay. So it is It is another Marvel. Okay. I would have loved to have had that. Yeah, I think I think all of these are pretty fantastic. I mean, I, I like I said, the, the ones I'm most intimate with are that Superman book and this Robin meets Man Bat. The rest of them I, I kind of had peripheral exposure to. You know, like, I mean, you know, you know, Rob Kelly, like, for years had you know that's that's where you guys you know i linked you to the 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 pdf and the 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 mp3 of the audio and everything and like he i mean if anybody's the preeminent expert on power records it's rob kelly and like he he had all of those cataloged on that site and everything so if you're ever like oh i want to check that out like go, go there and check out uh, you know curse of the werewolf or whatever you know what i mean like like all that stuff is just you know it was like it must have been like a labor of love but it's 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 a fantastic resource so yeah i kind of want to listen to beneath the, the planet of the apes because you know i love planet of the apes and i'm I'm curious what that'll sound like yeah and they, they i mean he's he's got his own power records podcast i mean they've talked about some of them like a couple times in a row you know because they talked about it once on fire and water and then they talked about it on the the power records podcast and everything. So like they, they covered this kind of stuff all the time. So it's like, and again, like I said, I'm, I, I'm less intimately familiar with, with the, you know, the other uh, power records that we talked about, but like for me, the ones that, you know, hit me the hardest are obviously Robin meets man bat. And then that Superman versus like the alien invaders or whatever, like those are the ones that, you know, I, I had as a kid, I, um, I, I rebought, physical copies of them so i've got like you know physical copies with the the 45 and the sleeve and, and all that stuff um I, I i got some silver age uh, these comic showcase kind of frame things and i can put them in there and hang them up on the wall and stuff but uh yeah i i you know i don't know the, these things you know like shag's always going on about find your joy like the robin meets man bat is my joy you know like so that i i can't say anything better about it than that. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together Soak them down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them 
Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... You know, they, they even paid some attention in that story, which kind of surprised me, where Langstrom's like, are you going to introduce me to your friend? Mm. And and they have to introduce Robin because they don't know each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was and like, it, oh, wow, that's a little nice little detail. And and, and ironically, like there there is that debate or maybe argument of is, you know, is Robin meets Man Bat canon, you know, type thing. And it's like it's like, well, if you look at it, like technically like Robin never met Man Bat in the official DC comics, but when Robin finally encounters Man Bat, I think in Batman Family, they both know one another. So odds are, like that, you know, that story, this power record was canon, right? Because the next time they encounter one another, they kind of know one another. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I would have liked to see Man Bat in Batman sixty six though. Who do you like if if who would you like Kirk Langstrom? Who would Kirk Langstrom be played by? Uh it'd be stunt casting, but the professor from Gilligan's Island. Mmm. That's cool. I like that. Does the then that can Francine be like Marianne or somebody? Like <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. That would be cool. All right. I think I think we, we did the we, we 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 fulfilled the mandate, right? We we talked about three comics. They were all comics that creeped us out as a kid. And uh, and some of them, you know, we, we found our joy in. So I, I think that's pretty cool. I don't know, man. What do do you do you have anything going on, Vanover, that you wanna like pimp out, like T V and film toys or, or, or... I, I've still I've still got it running, um, but I I haven't been putting up updates. Um, I do have a Facebook that I group for TV and film toys. I still post stuff on from time okay. to time. Mainly, it's like single pictures. Um, but I want to I want to get back to uh, maybe doing some YouTube reviews and stuff here mm-hmm. up in the new year. So, no, those are fun. I, I liked when you you know I mean I, obviously I, my proclivity you know it's like I liked when you did the 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 Batman type reviews and things like that. I thought those were fun. You know, any of the DC stuff, like whether it's like a line I collect or, you know, something that's in a scale I don't even collect or whatever it was. Like I still, I I get a kick out of watching those and and seeing what you think of them and stuff. And I know, I know you like certain, you know, Batman lines and things like that. So I, I enjoy watching them. I've been picking up McFarlane, uh, Demon Slayer toys lately. So, um, might see a few of those slide across the YouTube in the near future. I'm hoping, but I'm still over on X as as engineer nerd too. So um, yeah, hit me up on one of those things. You know, and if you wanna you wanna see me do something in particular, just ask, and I'll probably do it. So cool. Yeah, we're on we're on the X as well, and we're on Facebook and Tumblr, and uh, we appreciate all the likes, hearts, and shares, and re Xs that we get. Um, we can be streamed. Uh, we're on those streaming things and, uh, we're on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can direct download all the episodes of comics. Motherfucker. Do you read them? And all the 
various shows that we do on the network. And I think, uh, you know, it's what Apple podcasts and, and uh, go to Podbean, you know, all that good stuff. And then yep. I think that that's going to wrap us up for tonight. So uh, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, flapping his bat wings, signing off. Johnny V riding off into the sunset. And this is just. Surprise, surprise, you guys both introduced me to new stuff. Uh, I think these are both firsts for me, so. I feel like John's took me down like a long forgotten rabbit hole of comics I used to own and would buy cheaply, but I'll, I'll get into that later. I was just surprised you had the oldest one. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised Derek didn't pick like, oh, this is a spooky Superman story. Hmm. Like, that's what I was expecting. <clears throat> like, Superman uh, fights Dracula, and then when Dracula bites his neck, Dracula's like, holy crap, this is like <laughs> eating the sun, and melts <laughs> he blows away. Up. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> I don't know, that's not, that's not spooky. I, that's my, not... My, I, I told you, my only other backup thing was um, oh. <clears throat> that Firestorm comic where the, uh-huh. the wrestler guy, like, turns into a freaking scary kaiju or whatever, which is kind of similar you know it's just body horror stuff that like freaks me out i guess well now i'm wondering could a could dracula bite superman's neck uh there there were pre-crisis there were things where dracula did i think or you know like like there were like Super Friends episodes where Dracula turned the Super Friends or something dumb like that. But then the thing I just sort of made fun of, which is actually a real story, was, you know, the era of Superman that I think I dug reading the most, which was kind of like post-2000s where Superman, you know, was was kicking all kinds of ass. And so there's literally a story where Dracula bit him. And then because, you know, He's solar powered, like it effed up Dracula to bite him on the neck, and I was like, "Yeah, that's how it should be." Superman effs <laughs> up Dracula. He doesn't even have to do anything. He just sits there and gets bitten, and it's like, "Whoops, you bit too hard, buddy. You bit it's... the sun." 
This sounds yeah, like BS, true. like you're Superman and Wonder Woman fighting Thor it for is. a thousand years it is. story. It is. It's total oh. BS. It's, it's it's the bull BS where Eric Larson gets his butt hurt over it. And that's <laughs> the kind of BS that I love. Mm. I'm like, that's right. 